Or the bottle caps separated. Yeah, separated, the and then the big bottle separating it. What are these? This is the, just, just like um, stereofoam. Cup noodles? Yes, cup noodles. This is Season 12 of the Sustainable Asia Podcast. Mapping the Asia Plastic Crisis. I am Bonnie Ao. And I'm Marcy Trent Long. Our team at Sustainable Asia partnered with the Heinrich Boll Foundation with support from Break Free from Plastic Asia Pacific to produce this series. In our last episode, we heard from Malati Weissen about her journey as a young activist to campaign against plastic bags littering the pristine beaches in her home of Bali. And speaking with break-free from plastic experts in Asia, we found out that stopping plastic pollution here can only happen when producers and distributors of disposable plastic packaging step up and take responsibility for the waste they're creating. This narrative of polluter pays in Asia will be a focus of this episode. But first, let's travel to a traditional fishing village on the island of Lembay in Indonesia to get a sense of the plastic pollution there. A year ago, back when we were able to travel, I met Helen Panangang, who toured me around their new waste bank. It was set up to collect and sort village trash there. So then there is a card box all over, and then all separating the glass bottle and the packings, all the bags. Packing yeah, the mix them. Like snacks, yeah, right? the snacks and like soaps. Yeah, the soaps, soaps and then the cornstarch. Many, many pickings. Yeah, Once the waste is sorted, it's sent by boat to the city of Manado on the big island of Sulawesi, just to be sorted again and then sent to another city by boat for recycling. All those transportation costs have to be paid for by the nearby Lembe scuba diving resort. Have you thought about telling the store in the village, no plastic? Actually, we try, but then everything is still in a plastic bag. It's, it's just like, oh my God, this is the war never ending. During our visit, Helen seemed to have a sense of helplessness for their situation. Because even if we told them like not to bring all the product in plastic then it's difficult for them because in the mainland everything is just come in the plastic I don't know why don't they don't care I mean they know right the effect of the plastic that they produce maybe they have to start thinking about To figure out who is sending all of this plastic packaging to places like Helen's Village, the Alliance Break Free from Plastic started an initiative a few years ago called the Global Brand Audit Report to create more transparency around the companies whose plastic packaging waste are most commonly found around the world. Each year, Break Free from Plastic changemakers gather to reveal the top plastic polluters trashing our communities. With brand audits, people collect plastic waste and document the brands on each item. 
The corporations polluting the most places with the most plastic are named the world's worst plastic polluters. And once they have all of these tallies, they see who the biggest polluters are. You'll see all the same culprits year in and year out. It's really a tragic uh, part of the waste issue because we have all of these uh, multinational corporations that are constantly being shown as one of the biggest polluters when it comes to plastic waste. And yet they haven't really shown any real commitment or any concrete steps towards uh, facing out single-use plastic. We spoke to Fon Hernandez from Breakthrough from Plastic in Manila about the conclusions he drew from the global brand audit. For the longest time, companies slash polluters have been have managed to get away from their responsibility for this problem, right? They've through their narratives and through their campaigns, they've shifted the burden to local government authorities, to consumers, you know, constantly priming us about uh, the need for recycling as if that would solve the crisis. As part of this recycling narrative, many multinationals that use plastic packaging have made bold commitments for 2030 as part of the Ellen MacArthur Plastic Global Commitment. Under this charter, they agree to recycle and reuse at least 55% of plastic packaging, and second, to increase the amount of recycled plastic used in their products by 50%. But according to Miko Alino, these recycling goals may not fully solve the plastic pollution problem. I think it's um, in a way a welcome commitment from companies to actually take on this commitment and actually reduce the amount of plastic they're using in their uh, production facilities and effectively increasing their recycling rate. Miko Alino works with Gaia in the Philippines, an alliance of more than 800 grassroots groups, NGOs, and individuals across 90 countries. Their ultimate vision is a world without waste incineration. What's actually troubling is there's still a, in a way, a push to increase uh, plastic production. I believe it's it's expected that plastic production would quadruple by 2050. So the amount of recycling efforts that um, these companies are introducing or will be adopting in the next few years will not be enough to create that balance in terms of the plastic production that we're projecting by 2050. Companies are struggling to keep up with these commitments, particularly in Asia where waste collection is fragmented. According to a recent Ellen MacArthur Foundation update on its own global commitment charter, there has been, quote, limited progress of increasing recyclability of plastic packaging and on reducing the need for single-use packaging altogether. The Philippines has uh, 7,641 islands, and about 2,000 of them are inhabited. And uh, we're, in a way, in a, in a good company, I guess. We also have Indonesia with um, more than 17,000 islands, and 6,000 of them are have people. And uh, I can't imagine the difficulty in terms of um, managing or setting up a logistical collection system to accommodate these inhabited islands, just to ensure that there's an efficient handling of waste. And if you remember, Helen's Lembe village had no choice but to ship their waste by boat for sorting and recycling elsewhere. You need to actually spend a lot of money for shipping costs just to send, uh, for example, uh, plastic discards to urban centers. In some cases where in islands, they don't have facilities to process. um, So they're in a way forced to 
either send them to uh, urban centers or just put them in landfills. Recycling in urban centers, according to Miko, does seem to be somewhat a brighter picture. Maybe reaching the 50% recycling rate could be doable in big cities, uh, which have access to recycling markets and they do have some decent uh, logistical system. In Metro Manila, for example, cities here, they enjoy regular collection services. Some of the largest companies listed in Break Free from Plastics brand audit are investing heavily to increase recycling rates in these urban centers, especially in the area of PET plastic. That's the number one in the triangle on plastic packaging, and it's a material most commonly used for disposable water bottles here in Asia. We were curious why multinationals choose to invest so much in PET plastic recycling. I mean, why not switch to glass or aluminum packaging and focus on recycling those materials instead? The PET bottle remains the uh, packaging of choice for transporting uh, and for being able to provide beverages for um, a wide number of products, ranging from bottled water to uh, soft carbonated drinks, uh, and also increasingly for um, even uh, dishwashing liquids and other consumer products. Masi spoke with Ashwin Subramaniam from his home in Singapore. So PT as a material has been around for decades now, but it's only really in the last, I'd say, 20 years or so that the uh, uh, recyclability of PT has started increasing. And in the last, I would say, three or four years, the technologies for uh, putting PT bottles back into bottles has actually commercialized at a very large scale. So there's many companies out there who are mainly putting PT bottles back into PT bottles, which is excellent from a circular economy point of view. Many of the companies have really put in targets to not only increase the collection for recycling rates, but to also create a very strong secondary market for these products by uh, making commitments to use recycled content. A few years ago, Ashwin founded an economics and environmental research company called GA Circular. Coca-Cola Company approached them to lead a study on how to increase PET plastic recycling in Asia. So the Full Circle is a report where uh, we specifically look at the potential for circular economy or better recycling rates and better collection rates for uh, PET bottles in Southeast Asia. So one of the key findings was uh, the collection for recycling rates in Southeast Asia. We found it to be at about 54% across nine different cities in Southeast Asia. Now, I know this is not you know, optimal and this is nowhere close to the 80 or 90% uh, rates that we see in many European countries or, or in Japan. Um, however, from a plastic recycling point of view, BET has by far the highest recycling rate. Companies like Coca-Cola are making big investments in the PET recycling systems in Asia. Swire Coca-Cola is building a plastic recycling facility here in Hong Kong, and their global commitment to make PET bottles with 50% recycled content is critical to creating demand for recycled plastic. But with fluctuating oil prices, it's tough for recycled plastic to compete with virgin plastic prices. There is a lot of value loss that we see, A, because these, you know, there's still a lot of bottles that are not getting collected, but B, also because there is the end products that are made from PET is not exactly able to attract the best value in the market because of design issues, because of contamination issues, and because they're being converted into very low value products. 
And that gets us back to the waste collection struggles for many urban centers in Asia, because there isn't separation of organic waste. So the plastic recycling bins here end up looking pretty dirty. And contamination is one of the reasons why PET plastic is often downcycled into things like asphalt or polyester, rather than being turned back into food-grade packaging such as PET bottles. So, in an attempt to try to reach that goal of 50% recycled plastic content in the PET packaging, Ashwin suggested that the industry would set up a producer responsibility organization or a PRO, uh, which works on these extended producer responsibility. Uh, EPR principles and ensures that these materials get collected uh, and the PRO uh, functions as a central point of contact for the entire industry uh, to then work with recyclers and to do uh, this collection at scale. So Ashwin used a lot of industry terminology that we should break down. EPR is extended producer responsibility. That's the polluter pays concept we talked about earlier. And PRO is the producer responsibility organizations that Ashwin is helping set up across Southeast Asia to coordinate packaging design standards and plastic recycling efforts. These initiatives can help increase PET recycling rates in urban centers and hopefully other plastic recycling as well. But ultimately, who will pay to collect and sort the plastic waste for recycling? The government is already spending a lot of money in terms of solid waste management services or activities. In in some areas, I think they they spend uh, as much as 20% of their annual budget. So it's actually a burden not only for uh, the governments, but also for households, for residents, because uh, it's it's their taxes. If local governments in Asia are required to shoulder the burden of collecting and sorting plastic waste, then what happened to the idea that the polluter pays? The way we're seeing it at the moment, uh, companies like Nestle, Coke, they will tell you that, you know, they're doing something about the problem. Uh, You have to ask them and challenge them to reveal how much disposable plastics they're putting out to the market, to commerce, or and how much they're ending up in the environment, and challenge them to also reduce uh, this amount of pollution uh, in the form of disposable plastic that they're deploying to the marketplace. And this principles, in a way, should be encapsulated in any extended producer responsibility framework. So Vaughn wants to include objectives to reduce as well as recycle in any EPR program. I think to come to the question of, you know, can EPR really help these issues? Yes, I would say EPR has a very important role to play. Uh, At the same time, EPR is, or the extended producer responsibility regulations are not necessarily the silver bullet, right? They're not going to solve the entire problem. Uh, altogether. But many countries in Asia haven't quite yet gotten to EPR legislation for plastic packaging. Well, you have um, some pending bills in, in the Philippine Congress. So there are bills that actually focus on uh, having a national ban on single-use plastic. There's a pending um, legislation on having an EPR scheme, for example, that uh, would in a way, mandate companies to take back materials. It should be in place, I think, 20 years ago, but I think the government is just acting now to 
uh, have it in place. I think EPR definitely has a role to play, but I think at the end of the day, I've, from my experience, I think it comes down to what is the value that the post-consumer product has. So if they have, if these products have good value and if the economics of collection uh, work out, uh, then I don't think there should be, uh, we should be seeing such a big challenge of plastic pollution. The scrap value for plastic packaging waste is not very high in Asia, in part because virgin plastics are so cheap here. And, and that's where I, I feel currently the plastic packaging is not necessarily reflecting the true environmental cost that they actually bear in these countries. Um, so I think there is more and more of that realization that the external impact of plastic packaging has to be factored in and there's no running away from it. Uh, and this, I don't think this will ever be a sustainable model. You can't expect to pay for a few years and then hope that, oh, you know, I don't need to, like I as a company don't have to pay for plastic collection and recycling again in the future. No, I feel from now onwards, they always have to pay to ensure that the packaging gets collected. This is always going to be an extra cost into the business. So when we talk about you know, how we move our societies away uh, from the system and towards, let's say, greater circularity, uh, uh, we need to uh, think of measures that do not perpetrate our reliance on plastics included and really leapfrog uh, looking at other uh, approaches uh, because the approach is not necessarily an alternative material. It could be an alternative a system, a way of thinking, an alternative way to deliver products to market. Many years ago, uh, I mean, the reusable, uh, refillable share of the market in, in our society is quite considerable. In fact, they still exist uh, in some places. Even here in the Philippines, there's like deposit uh, return schemes, uh, but they've been slowly inundated uh, by disposable systems. Uh, I think in the United States and in many places uh, in the in the north, uh, we've already seen disposables taking over the market. Right? We don't want this uh, replicated in full in Asia. We don't. We have to learn from the mistakes of the West and leapfrog over those mistakes. Implement alternative systems and solutions. In our next episode, we'll look into this idea of refillable options and reuse as an alternative to recycling. We'll hear inspirational stories of people across Asia trying to create and promote zero-waste communities, where reuse and reduction become a core value of their society. Because recycling in the rural areas of the Asian archipelagos is more and more becoming a myth rather than a solution. Thank you to our partner, the Heinrich Boll Foundation, for allowing us to use their formidable research behind their new publication, Plastic Atlas Asia. Heinrich Boll Foundation is a green think tank from Germany and has more than 30 offices around the world, including Hong Kong. They produce a series of excellent publications, including Ocean Atlas, an Agricultural Atlas, and a recent publication, Insect Atlas 2020. Also, thanks to the support for this series from Break Free from Plastic Asia Pacific, 
Break Free from Plastic is a global movement of 11,000 organizations and individuals worldwide, including Sustainable Asia. And as you can guess from the name, they share a vision of a future that's free from plastic pollution. My name is Marcy Trent Long. Our co-host, producer, and sound engineer is Bonnie Ao. Jiaxing Li is the associate producer. A big thank you to our guests, Helen Penangong, Vaughn Hernandez, Miko Alino, and Ashwin Subramaniam. Alexander Mobison created the intro-outro music made from repurposed and recovered waste items.